Hello and welcome to another episode of the Trading Desk Podcast. My name is Joshua Thanos, and today I have, uh, I think, widely known my favorite guest, uh, and uh, that is uh, Michael Manjos. Hey, Mike, how are you? You know what? It's not easy to get people... Yeah, well, I appreciate that. I mean, you and I have great conversations. You have good insights on the market, obviously. There's nobody more in tune with the watch market than you just because your job is it relies on that, right? So uh, if you don't... Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. basically, you're in charge of a, you know, a, few, a few hundred million dollar inventory. So uh, if you're not paying attention, then we're all in trouble. And uh, luckily, we're... <laughs> We're doing okay, even though we we are taking some losses. Uh, but I don't think that's your fault. That's the uh, that's the way things go, and we'll talk about that. Um, we'll talk about that shortly. But uh, all right. So before we get started, well, guys, just as a recap, we're going to be talking about the current state of the market as we normally do with with Mike Manjos. Again, nobody else is more in tune um, or has his tentacles and more uh, more continents and more, uh, <laughs> more references, watch references on the planet than Mike Manjos. So um, it should be a uh, a very enlightening conversation. Um, but before we start, let's, uh, as always, we do our customary risk check. So Mike, uh, what do you, what do you got? You're going to hurt some people's feelings with, with what's on your wrist today? I don't know. I mean, I love this. This is my grail Rolex and everybody knows I'm a Rolex guy. Uh, while I love other brands, Rolex is kind of my go-to daily driver. Um, and for the last three or four months, my new daily driver is my white gold GMT meteorite. And I've always loved white gold sport watches it wasn't really in the cards for a couple of years with some bunch of kids in college but uh, i had to graduate this year so decided to reward myself with one um and it's the best watch i've ever had i mean without a doubt i just love it mitchell makes fun of me all the time because he's like you know like i wear it working in the yard i wear it playing golf i don't give a sh i just it's my daily driver and i'm gonna wear it every day that i <laughs> And I'm still around till I get something better. Um, and I just love it. It's just, to me, Rolex is a perfect, I love GMTs. This particular one just has a great dial on it. And it just, it means the world to me. Um, so I love this watch. That's amazing. And people who don't know, Mitchell is your son. Right. Uh, who also worked for Watchbox. <laughs> he does little, just little started full time. There. Little yeah, nepotism yeah, but he's a... Uh, Unfortunately, he he's knows the, what he's doing, though. He's the smart one in the family. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, like, at least we hired a smart man, Joe. So he's uh, <laughs> does business intelligence and runs me all my data and does a lot of other things to the company and is really doing a great job. But he really loves it. And thank God doesn't work for me directly. Uh, <laughs> so he's not ready to commit suicide. But uh, no, he's a great kid. And it's so much fun having my son here. I really, you know, yeah. it's one of those things that you just can't uh, can't put a price on. Well, that's awesome, man. That's uh, I think I think you're right about that. I know you have you have three sons, and so far you've hired one of them. And I'm sure <laughs> we might we might be seeing the other two down the road as you as you uh, infiltrate the, the organization. <laughs> but uh, all right, cool, man. And uh, all right, so my wrist check is uh, not nearly as cool as yours, uh, but I think it's pretty cool. It's a watch that I actually just got back from service, and uh, this is my Moser Pioneer Special Edition for Collective Horology. So it's a full stainless steel. It's actually similar to a release from Godberg's, uh, our I guess you call our parent company. Recently, um, they did a uh, I guess a derivation of this watch, right? But this is the um, 42.8 millimeter 
full stainless steel with the bracelet and I've been saying it wrong for the last since I got the watch since December I, for some reason I got it in my head that Wellendorf made this bracelet it was actually uh, uh, what is it a Brogioli actually made this bracelet Tim Masso was able to uh, correct me on that um, still very prestigious uh, bracelet maker maybe even more prestigious than Wellendorf but uh, so um, it's got a full uh, at this point was the only watch on this bracelet from the brand now there's a titanium version in 40 millimeters uh, with a blue dial and a gray bezel from Govbergs. I think there's a few uh, pieces still left but they've been selling like crazy in titanium uh, mine has a, a uh, the green gradient dial I think they call it the green matrix dial it's the same dial as the um, uh, the streamliner the original green dragon streamliner so um, 42.8 millimeter, a little bit larger than that streamliner, definitely larger than the Godberg Special Edition. Um, it has a black uh, GMT bezel, right? So a 12-hour uh, black ceramic bezel. And I, I just love this watch. And it's funny, it took me a minute. I, I bought the watch, quick little story. So I bought this watch in December. My, uh, my good friend and colleague, Jason Main, had bought one a few months before that. And I, I wanted to buy a Moser, actually. I wanted to buy the blue um, streamliner the the flyback and that was a forty thousand dollar watch and and I was figuring out how I was going to be able to afford that sell off a watch or two or and and find the watch hopefully at retail um, and then this watch came up uh, as available from Collective Horology they it, it was a special run of fifty pieces and uh, all most of the pre owns that hit the market end up back with those guys so they had one um, for roughly twenty thousand dollars. So I decided, sight unseen, uh, just seeing it in photos, which I had fell in love, that I was going to buy the watch. I bought the watch. It came in, and I really liked it on a strap. I hated it on a bracelet. I, I just really I put it on the. I hated it. Like I was wearing. Interesting. Like, oh, man, I, I think I think I hate this watch, which sucks for me, right? Like, because I'm usually the guy that like I'll know right away whether or not I like the, like the watch or not. So I was highly conflicted. I'm like, oh crap! I think I made a twenty thousand dollar mistake. Um, you know, I started finding things wrong with the watch, and in my in my opinion, I, I, the bracelet could be slightly more refined. It, you know, the the links are very large, and again, it's somewhat of an unrefined bracelet. But um, so at first, like I just didn't like the watch. I didn't wear it. I put it back in the box, and I like contemplated for like a week what I was going to do. So finally, um, after like that first shock had worn off, I, I went back and I and because I, I had put the watch on a strap because I did like wearing it on the strap and I'm like I bought this watch only one of the main reasons because I wanted the, I wanted a, a bracelet watch I hadn't had too many bracelet watches at the time so I put it back on the on the wrist and I try to size it back and forth because it's, it's again larger links make it a bit tough to size a bracelet especially to your wrist right, right? so I couldn't figure out how to get it to wear nice and then finally I I, I figured that if I take the um, the bracelet and I turn it around I swap it so it kind of opens the opposite way it fits my wrist really nice. So I did that and I put it on my wrist and then I wore it for only like a month after that. And I, and I felt deeply in love with it. And that's how I feel now. But, um, so yeah, it was, it was a little bit of a, of a weird situation because I had spent, you know, roughly $20,000 on a watch that I almost immediately decided I hated. <laughs> uh, and now, and now like I, I could see it being my only watch. Like I look at my watch box and I have a lot of watches that I love. Um, uh, but this ticks so many boxes for me, you know, it's, it's, I guess you would call high horology. It's a well-finished movement, a handmade movement from a very small boutique brand. So it's a special piece in that sense. Um, and now that it fits so well and like I fall in love with that, the fit, like I could wear this in almost every situation. I can wear it in the pool, I can wear it under a cuff, I can wear it in a room with watch guys, I can wear it, uh, you know, downtown Miami, um, partying right. a little bit. Maybe it doesn't 
completely fit that way. Maybe my Rolex fits that way. So maybe I wear, I have this and a Rolex or this in my AP. That could be my whole collection. But um, but yeah. So so there you go. That's the story about about the Moser Collective Horology Edition. Um, there's every once in a while you'll see one pop up for sale. I think the last one that went for sale was at twenty four thousand. So it sounds like it's possibly moving up in value, which is nice. And Mike and I, I think we'll. We'll talk about that, and uh, actually, let's go ahead and jump into it now. You know, I've been rambling three <laughs> minutes on on my wrist check and, and the story behind this, but um, all right. So let's go ahead and get into it. So, Mike, um, it is currently just for posterity. It is uh, August nineteenth. We're recording twenty twenty two. Last time we recorded was May. So, um, and then the last time before that, I think might've been like January or February. So things have changed quite a bit, uh, in those three different podcasts or, or, you know, including this one. Um, let's do a quick recap, right? So I'll do this. So the, in around last November, um, something happened. We're not quite sure. Uh, we have some, some opinions and some, (laughs) we we might never know, really know, but certain mostly hype models, um, from, the the three top producers or, or, or three most famous watchmakers right now, so AP, Paddock, and Rolex, started increasing price almost on a weekly basis, or almost on a daily basis, right? So like models from these brands, especially the hypiest models, started increasing some like 30 to 50% between say like November and we'll say like April, right? Mm-hmm. Um, of uh, November of 2021 to April of 2022. Um, and then uh, the stock market in crypto dropped and then the values on those watches dropped like overnight right um uh probably leading into about april uh so then people claimed that like the bubble had popped correct um, which in some cases certainly uh were true but it depends on how you view the bubble if you view like 2017 to 2022 the bubble that bubble hasn't popped if you call this a bubble which i wouldn't agree that it is but november to say March, certainly a bubble, certainly pop, right? I think you would agree with that? Without a doubt. I mean, there's no question it was a, I mean, there was no question it was a bubble. I mean, I think we all knew, um, even in January, we were starting to get a little nervous seeing the prices really escalate to numbers we couldn't imagine. And then certainly in March, um, you know, we were killing it. I mean, we were selling crazy watches at crazy prices and, um, but we're still nervous because it was like, you know, it was going up too fast. Uh, I've been doing this 35 years, you know, it just markets don't move that quickly and they really did. Um, so we were certainly nervous and then came April and we started to feel it and then it just progressively slid and then we slid into summer and, you know, traditionally, I know we've talked about this on many different times is, you know, the watch business was always very seasonal. Um, you know, January and February were always strong because a lot of financial guys would get bonuses and treat themselves to a watch. Um, you know, May, June, you had graduation seasons and, you know, it was just generally anniversaries, lots of reasons to buy a watch. And then everybody would kind of travel for the summer and most of the dealers would take the summer off um, and prices would soften in the summer and then, you know, pick back up September into the fourth quarter. Um, the last two years, we didn't see any of that. We really saw this just kind of prices just kept staying strong, kept escalating. Um, and then it really ramped up for the first quarter, um, to the point like, you know, we were all looking at each other going like, is a, is a Panda Daytona really worth $50,000? I'm like, that's crazy. 
I mean, you know, I don't even love the watch that much, but it's like, you know, it went from 30 to 35 to 40 to 45 to 50 in, in weeks, you know, like six, eight weeks, it went from 35 to 50. And then it kind of stalled out and nobody started moving. And then in April, um, I was at a show and I remember the moment and I saw this bag of Daytonas, um, you know, that were being offered at 40 grand, you know, when everybody was still asking 50 well, they were asking 42 and I offered on a couple just to see, and I offered 40 and got them both. And I was like, uh Oh, <laughs> that's not a good sign. Yeah. Uh, let's start, let's start selling them off. And, uh, you know, when, then we saw what was fairly, you know, looking back over the last three months, it was fairly organized decline. Um, you know, the market never really froze. And in any market, the one thing you fear is just everybody freezing. Um, and some of the dealers did just stop buying and stop selling and did freeze because they didn't know what to do. But in essence, the market did kind of continue to limp along for a few months. Um, and it was gradually kind of declining. And I remember when I first lowered the Daytona to under 40, we were the first one to go below 40. Um, you know, everybody else was still in the mid 40s. And I was just like, I can see where this is going, um, especially heading into the summer. I think that was like May early June. And we just, you know, again, took the big step down, uh, took some haircuts. I mean, that's the funny thing. Everybody thinks we just print money all the time, but um, certainly not in cycles like this. Um, but I was lucky enough, uh, you know, my previous jobs, I spent uh, 18 years in Greenwich, Connecticut, got to know a lot of the hedge fund guys and, um, you know, some world famous ones. And I remember, you know, having talks with them and they're just like, you know, they make, you know, four out of the five trades they make are wrong. They just get out of them quickly and they ride the fifth one to the moon. And it's just the way peak trading is. Uh, you know, there's always going to be times you make mistakes. We definitely made some in this environment. Um, and we move out of them and then reposition ourselves. So it's been a great experience, I think, from a lot of standpoint. Uh, many of the people who work here had never been through one of these. Um, you know, I mean, I was... My first one, I think, was in the late 80s, and then we had the tech crisis in 91, then we had the, you know, 2000, and then the big one in 07 um, that we were in the middle of, and then, you know, they've been through enough of them that it kind of know that you get that original shock, and then everybody thinks the world's going to end, um, and the stock market crashes, and crypto crashes, which kind of, I think, exacerbated this one was, I think a lot of the drive up on the prices so quickly was crypto. Um, and people don't like to think it was connected, but I think there was a lot of people who were just printing money and looking for other assets to put it into. And guys were buying watches, not because they loved them. They were buying watches because they thought they were going to make money. Um, and while there is a financial aspect to this business, it never was what it was all about. And, you know, yes, there are rare things that long term you're going to do great in. Um, but, you know, if you're looking to buy something and make money in six weeks, uh, I don't think this is the right asset. So um, we did get a lot of those people in it. They certainly got burnt a little bit. A lot of the new young dealers certainly took some haircuts, which none of us were upset to see because they've been pretty arrogant over the last couple of years. <laughs> and us old folks were like, okay, well, let's see how you do in a downturn. But it's real easy to look like a genius when prices are going up every week. But it's a lot harder to look smart when it's dropping. And catching a falling knife is never fun or easy. But um, there is a skill to it. So I feel like, um, you know, we had a, a very interesting summer. 
Um, July started kind of showing some activity again. And then in the last three or four weeks, we've seen a higher volume of units than we were seeing in March. So the price is corrected, and in some cases, fairly dramatically. You know, that Daytona is down probably 30%. The Nautilus is down 30 or 40%. Um, so you're significant. Some 50%. Dr- yeah, some. Certainly some of the gold ones yeah. that went really went nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, and now people are starting to come back, and, you know, summer's winding down. So, you know, kids are back in school. Vacations are done. And guys are paying attention again, and they're like, "Well, you know, hey, it was two hundred. Now it's a buck twenty. Maybe it's time." And mm-hmm. you know, timing a market bottom is impossible. Um, yeah. But we've certainly seen the major wind come out. Um, and right now, and again, I do a lot of kind of sourcing and talking to people in the markets. And you know, Asia right now is very thin on inventory. And like it used to be, you would go to a dealers in Hong Kong and they would have just tons and tons of product. And, Bonds, you know, th- yeah. yeah, they sold down a lot of product um, and didn't want to replace because they didn't know where the market is. So the market is fairly thin right now, which is always good um, because, you know, there was always just a lot of goods in the market. And as prices got super high, a lot of guys traded and a lot of guys took things out of the collection because they're like, hey, you know. If someone's going to pay me 40 for my Daytona I paid 15 for, I should cash it in and get a paddock. And, you know, that was kind of the mentality, which makes a lot of sense, but it also forces more goods into the market. So I think – I'm not going to say we hit bottom, but I feel like we definitely have bounced a little uh, off the bottom. Um, there's always a possibility that some catastrophic event could happen and drive us down. Um, you know, certainly the war – which is still going on that we don't talk about anymore because we, we lose interest so quickly in certain things. Um, yeah. But that really certainly helped the markets and, you know, they've come back a decent amount. So I think it's normal to think going into the fall, I'm optimistic. I think we'll also typically you get a boost after an election, um, certainly a midterm. Um, no matter what happens, people tend to feel like things are going to change or things are just we know how things are going to be going forward. So I expect, um, you know, Danny and I were talking about this the other day. Um, we think we're going to see a really strong fourth quarter. Yeah, I, I would, I would agree. I mean, I, I, so I have a lot of customers in the financial sector and they are, they're feeling, you know, cautiously optimistic about, about the fourth quarter. I feel like a lot of my customers who took a little break when the market dropped. So, you know, around that May time, I, so we did see a slowdown definitely not a freeze luckily i mean guys like us so well <clears throat> to back it up a little bit one thing you mentioned is that you know you, you you can't you can't like sit on the sidelines and get yourself out of a bad position right you have to just, right. you just have to eat it right so like one thing that i that one one I, i'm a sucker for like for these cliched sayings and things like that right and from a sales perspective and one thing you told me that I always rings true in my mind is that you know you, uh, you <laughs> Eat big, shit big, and you know I say for for this industry, Watchbox eats big, right? We get we get attacked for eating so big all the time, right? But but you know like the, some of the losses that we take on one watch would put some of these other dealers that are you know I guess you would call our competition, but just in our market that would put them completely out of business. The, some of the losses that we take on one watch right now. I, mean, right. I sold I sold a watch this week that we took a fifteen thousand dollar loss on. Um, 
And that's certainly not the biggest loss we've taken on some of these watches because, you know, we were cautious when the, when the drive up was going, we were being cautious that people were attacking us for that. Oh, well, look, the market's X. Why are you still offering Y? You know, and I right. said, listen, we're, we need, we need to pay attention and see. And then by the time we started paying Y, then the market starts coming down. And, and now people are like, oh, how come you're asking this? It's like, well, listen, we're dropping prices, but we're not looking to throw money away. So we're going to be cautious on, on, the, on the drive up and cautious on the, on the drive down. But some of, the, some of the pieces that we've seen the biggest drop on were like the 50th anniversary AP pieces, right? Um, those ones where they just shot way, 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 way up. And then now people are like, hey, you know, number one, they, they're going to be limited, we assume, by the amount because they're only going to make them for one year, but we don't know exactly how many of these you're going to make. And, you know, we bought a lot of these pieces and we have, I think almost every one of them we're selling for below our cost. So, you know, when, when, when I get accused of, oh, you guys are, are being, you know, gluttons and you're trying to make too much money. And then I get to send somebody, Hey, listen, the watch that I'm sending you this offer on, let me show you what my cost is. So <laughs> cost is 70 and I'm offering it to you right now for $45,000. So here's a $25,000 loss right now that, um, you know, that, and we're just eating it. It's just that's life. Yeah, it's, and uh, and it doesn't feel good, but you got exactly. And I think the thing that there's a couple of things that people forget is like when we're buying watches, we're basically buying futures because it takes us a couple of months to go through them, to inspect them, to service them, clean them up, make them perfect, and get them posted. So it's like I'm looking when I'm bidding, I'm trying to figure out where the market's going to be in two or three months. When we were in a falling market, I was obviously bidding pretty conservatively because I was pretty sure it was going to be worth less in six or eight weeks than I was paying today. So that's part of it, which is an interesting thing we have to approach. And the second thing, and to your point, one of the reasons I think the 50th anniversary specifically took a big hit was where we really saw the drops was on pieces that were currently being produced. So the 50th anniversary, again, we don't know how many they were making. It wasn't a specific number. Um, but, you know, we know AP makes 60,000 watches a year. We know the majority of them are Royal Oaks. Um, so there would be a lot of them hitting the market. And the run-up came, and then they just started delivering and started delivering and started delivering. And they weren't the only ones because, again, they were looking at this market being very nervous. Um, and I think felt like the way to do it was just let's push out as much as we can and cash in in case things get really bad. So they forced a lot of supply into the market, um, which obviously softened the prices. The other place that we saw it dramatically, and I know we were talking about it before, was Vacheron. You know, Vacheron about a year ago decided that all their, um, you know, blue dial pieces were going to go through the boutiques and they were really hard to come by. And then all of a sudden, you know, we liked the values and I was buying them up like crazy in March and April. Um, and then all of a sudden, like I'm getting offered three and four a day, all coming out of the boutiques. And after about five or six days of this, I'm like, whoa, what is going on? But they just unloaded. And I mean, people were getting phone calls that had walked into a boutique two years before and getting offered this stuff at retail. And they just pushed way too much into the market at one time. And this is the this is the fear I always have of certainly uh, the public groups is they really don't care. They just worry about what they're going to, you know, they got to report on a quarterly basis. Um, you know, they don't want to show a 20 percent drop in a quarter and have to answer to the board. So they do whatever they have to do to push out the numbers. And it looks it makes them look great. They're selling them at full retail. 
aren't we doing a great job? No, you're actually crushing the market because your watch was trading at you know two and three times retail uh, for the first time in history. In about six weeks, <laughs> you you burnt everybody <laughs> who believed in your brand after all those years. So you know. Vacheron was one. And to some extent, you saw it a little bit with Rolex. It was just, you know, people forget they still deliver Daytonas every day. And, you know, they deliver them at $15,000 retail. So, yes, they're hard to come by and you got to have friends. But 50 seems a little excessive. So the really significant drops to me were a lot of the brands that are current. And then the Nautilus is just because... They just had such an excessive run up because, you know, two or three years ago, you know, we were selling a 5711 at 40 grand and we thought it was all the money in the world. Yeah. And then it was 100 grand and then it was 150 grand. It's like, what? Uh, you know, it's not that right. great to watch. There's a lot of them out there. Well, what blows my mind is like when I offer 110 or $120,000 to buy somebody's Nautilus and they're like, that's all? <laughs> it's like, I'm like, listen. Uh, like they're online asking 170 and I go, listen, man, are you going to, that's my favorite question. Are you going to pay 170? Well, no. Right. Okay. So who am I going to find? Well, you'll find somebody. Okay. I, okay. Understood. But there's an element of risk in this. And for example, like I had this conversation, I'm having one today. Um, we're trying to make a deal and, and the guy's asking me why I'm so low on one of his watches. And, you know, and, and, and from his perspective, I totally understand. He's seeing them online for two and three times what we're offering him. Um, but the answer is literally we have no, uh, even though, so we're, we are the largest player in the market, right? I think it's pretty obvious now, right? Yeah. So we go through the most amount, we get the most offers, we get to see the most watches and we sell the most pre-owned watches in terms of volume, um, on the planet. So, um, and we've never had this reference of watch. It, it's somewhat of an obscure piece. It was like a, it's a one year edition of a really cool watch, but it's not a hype piece. We haven't had any history with it and I see some of the asking prices but I don't see any dealers that are offering these who own these watches so like we don't have any actual data so like if we're buying it it's it's got to be on a on a speculative basis and especially in a situation like this right where we have a large amount of inventory that is um uh that we're selling at a loss like we're not going to be quite as free to make kind of like flippant offers right like hey let's just take a, a flyer on this it's like well maybe in a situation where markets are going crazy and we're printing money like like everybody was say earlier in the year maybe we would have offered really strong on that watch and say let's just see how it goes worst case scenario right now we need just like anyone else is going to be more conservative so like we're offering you know what he considers it maybe even i consider it a bit of a low price but i understand from a business perspective right from a cold business perspective we're we're taking a a flyer on a watch that is that we don't have any data on and may or may not sell at x dollars so you know it's it is an interesting uh you know position that we put ourselves in but also when we're having a talk to our talk to our customers and say hey listen either we're not we're not going to be adding we already have eight of these watches right we're all of the watches we own more than what we can sell them for right now so we're going to have to sell them for less than what we own which you know we're going to own that we, we're going to deal with that but unfortunately that means that i can't make a very aggressive offer on the on the you know the ninth one that i'm going to have in an inventory we're going to have to we're going to have to be extra conservative because of the state of the market and you know explaining that to customers on my end it's not always the easiest Right, because like if I'm going to sell my watch, I want to get the very last dollar. Of course, as much as yeah, we understand that, and it makes sense, right? Right, of course, and 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 so like my the last the conversations and like to put in the context of you know a lot of guys on our even on our teams, we have a lot of young guys on our team. 
they've never dealt with anything like this. Maybe they, maybe they during like t- the uh, the early downturn in twenty twenty, but that lasted. Yeah, it was like six time, weeks. Right? Yeah, like, exactly. And things returned. Yeah, six weeks where like the market crashed, I guess, and then came right back and then went catatonic <laughs> after that. But so a lot of our guys on our team and a lot of guys in this industry don't know how to have a conversation with a customer and saying, "Hey, listen, you know." Um, this is what we're offering, but this is why we're offering at this uh, at this point now. And I can understand why you wouldn't want to sell for this price because maybe if I was in your situation, I wouldn't want to as well. So if you want to do it, go ahead. But we're not going to be super aggressive. Um, and I'm telling a lot of people, let's let's wait till the end of the year because I believe I, I do too. I think we're I think exactly too. And I've told a number of customers the same thing. I mean, unless you're trading into something that's de- devalued right now and you want to just use like assets, mm-hmm. that makes sense. But like. In a lot of cases, if you're just selling outright, I would tell them to, you know, sit tight for six, eight weeks because I think it's going to get stronger. I do believe that. Um, and that's, I think, sound advice. I think the other thing that was very interesting in this kind of correction, as I call it, because um, I really think that's what it was. It certainly wasn't a crash. Never stopped trading, never panic selling, you know, um, but it corrected for sure. Um, but the thing that was interesting was this for the first time. Paddock, Rolex, AP all took pretty significant corrections. But take Jorn, take um, you know some of these small independents, Debethu, Laurent Ferrier, Erwerk, uh, MBNF. Mm-hmm. I feel like is stronger than it's ever been, even through this summer. Like every MBNF I can find, I'm selling immediately at the strongest prices we ever sold it. Um, so I think for the first time, we've seen independents hold up better than some of the majors, um, which is a big change. Uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago, yeah, you never would have seen that. Everybody was a flight to safety. And, you know, Rolex always held up the best because, you know, it's a Rolex, it'll always be. Um, but this was the first time that I'd seen Rolex correct, um, you know, significantly. And some other smaller brands that are certainly more esoteric uh, did better, which is, uh, I think, interesting going forward. I think people are really understanding rarity. People are really understanding collectability. And not that they haven't gone down at all in some cases. I mean, there's certainly chronometer blues are softer than they were two, three months ago. No question about it. But they're still 90 grand. You know, they're not 110, but, you know, they're still 90. Um, Even Moser. So, like, you know, and it's funny. So, over the last few months, I've sold more venturers than I have streamliners. And the streamliner was, like, the hype watch for Moser, even though it's, like – I don't, I don't love to call it that because it is like very uniquely them. It's not like a, you know, it's their steel sport watch essentially, though in my opinion, the, the, the Pioneer is a better one. But um, it's a great watch, but that one was getting a bit hypey and that came back down a little bit, but not, not enough to call it a crash. Um, right. You know, they just, they just kind of, people were looking to commoditize some of these watches because it's much easier to understand a watch from as a, as like in its monetary value than to do all the research and understand what goes into making the watch. Of course, like I do that a lot too. Like, okay, you know, this watch looks cool. Does anybody else think it's cool? Okay. Everyone else thinks it's cool. Then I really think it's cool. And I'll put my money into it. Right. Like that's how this, that's how like these commodity watches kind of come about. And then they just, it then ends up being like a race and you're competing with, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people with, with maybe more money than you, and then you get fifty thousand dollars steel Daytonas, right? Like that. <laughs> um, exactly. Right, but it's yeah. That's it's probably not the best. It's not sustainable, um, you know. In but what I what I like from all this, right? Because I always look for silver lining. I tend to be an optimist in general. Is that there's 
even with this situation, there's more people in the market, right? So like when the prices were, were running up, people were chasing and you got more people saying, oh shit, I better, I better buy before it keeps going higher, right? And right. some of those guys got burned, but now the prices dropped and then guys who were, who were, who were being more conservative, waited, they jumped in the market also. So either way, you got more buyers and that's, that's the trend that we've been seeing since 2017. The market has become mainstream, right? Like the world of watches was not mainstream before 2017. Not at all. And no question about it. Myself, I had to tell like when I first started in this industry, I remember calling one of my buddies and and telling him, "Hey, man, I just sold an eight thousand dollar watch. Like, who the hell would spend eight thousand dollars on a watch, right?" And I say that now I'm wearing a uh, watch that I spent twenty thousand dollars on it, and it's just like, <laughs> now like little kids know what Patek Philippe is, you know. So the mainstream is uh, the the mainstream adaption adoption. I don't know. I'm losing. I'm having a stroke here. But adoption. Okay, yeah, that's, adoption that's a good word for you. Swiss watches, luxury watches, handmade watches, however you want to call it. I mean, that I feel like has been cemented in in our culture. So from from our perspective, I mean, th- that's a good thing no matter what. Like, I don't think we're going to go back to. We're. I don't. Well, we've never seen steel Daytonas. Uh, it's definitely ceramics in uh, sitting in a case, uh, ready to be. Purchase. Right. I don't think that that's not going to happen, and I'll just talk in the sense of like a decade because it just makes more sense to me, right? So like, because that's as far out as I can think, I guess, in my mind. So in the next decade, I don't think that that happens, right? Like something would have to shift dramatically, I guess, within our culture where we we don't, where people in general don't like to celebrate success and don't like to buy nice things, and that's what what would have to happen for the watch world to kind of deflate and back to what it was before 2017. Yeah, no. And the other thing that's interesting, because like I know 25 years ago, everybody used to tell me that, you know, oh, and especially with the iPhones, you know, kids won't wear watches. Nobody's going to care. People care so much more. My kids who are, you know, like 18 to 24, they all and granted, I'm sure they have, you know, it's somewhat my fault, but all of their friends, they know watches. I mean, you're like Mitchell's one of his best friends, you know, made money on crypto, you know, his senior year in college. You know, it hit it big. And first thing he did is went out and buy himself a steel sub. You know, I mean, it was just like, that's what he thought. Right. Like, when I have success, that's what I should do. Um, so that has definitely spread through the the culture and the industry. And the other thing that's interesting is, you know, everybody was back in May and June is, oh, well, you know, all these watches are going to be available now. And, you know, the stores are going to be full and Rolex is shipping more. And, you know what I mean? And you go into... You know, I was in Dubai three weeks ago, uh, walked through the airport. They have a big Rolex store, not a watch in it. You know, I go to our downtown store. You know, we don't have anything on display. Nobody still has watches. And for all this, you know, we went through a summer when the market crashed. And still, um, now granted, some of the premiums are different. So the knucklehead who was buying a steel sub just to make five grand on it can only make 1500 on it now. So... Maybe some of those guys are out because, you know, by the time they pay tax, it's not worth it. Um, but that's good. But there's still so many people behind them that would kill to have it at retail that they're not available. I mean, I had one of my old clients reach out to me today about a 36 millimeter date just. And I'm telling them, you know, I'll get you one, but it'll be two or three months. And, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, when and we've been doing business for 25 years. Oh, yeah. You know, we used to discount a watch like that 20%. I mean, that was a, you know, that was a, you know, it was a 36 millimeter date chest. Nobody cared. It was 15 off. It was 20 off. 
um, for your great customers. And now, like, you know, it's full list. It's plus tax. And he's thanking me. <laughs> yeah, it just tells you how much favor. to market. Yes. He's calling in a favor for a friend um, yeah. to get a and steel 36 millimeter Rolex. I mean, it's crazy. Yep. But that is yeah. the reality. And that is not going to change. I don't care what anybody tells me. There was an article just this week in Watch Pro where they were quoting watches of Switzerland. And they don't even call it a, a you know, I forget what they call it. They don't. They don't take special orders. They call it a uh, intent Wish list or, or an interest yeah. interest <laughs> list. You yeah. know, somebody expressed interest. And they said it's longer than ever. Yeah. Three months after this has started, so the the interest on the new goods certainly hasn't changed. I think where we're going to see some of the drop off is you know a rising tide lifted all boats and. You know, you know, thirty-one millimeter steel and gold Datejust were selling over retail. That's not an over retail watch. It's absurd. I don't care what the dial is. I mean, even gold day dates were selling twenty, thirty, forty thousand over retail. Uh, come on, you know that's crazy too. Um, mm. You know they're common. They're out there. You're they're a cool watch, but you know, seventy, eighty, a hundred thousand dollars for a day date? That's crazy. So I think that stuff, those days are behind us, thank God, because I never really believed in it. But like, mm -hmm. certainly if you can buy them at retail, everyone's going to kill for it. And they were always pre-owned selling off retail. You know, Danny and I had this conversation the other day because we had a really cool long uh, pre-owned world timer and we sold it at, you know, 25 off retail, you know, for pre-owned. And he's like, oh my God, it's so cheap. I'm like, Danny, think back 10 years. You know what I mean? We were selling we them new for that. At 20, yeah, we would have bought it pre-owned at 25 cents and sold Right, and sold 50 off, exactly. yeah, like and, been, yeah. and have been high-fiving. It's like yep. we've become so you know culturally jaded. used to this, and jaded, and like yeah. so many things are over, over, over that it's like we lost a little bit of perspective, which is good for all of us to get back. And yes, we all got humbled a little bit. Well, perspective is not a big thing in in – in I guess American culture, like the funny thing is, because I, I so I was what you would call like an early adopter of of Bitcoin. I my brother and I, we we had miners and all right. that stuff because I, I thought it was just a cool idea. I mean, I I saw an opportunity to make money as well. But like people talk about crypt, like Bitcoin's <laughs> dead. It's trading at twenty thousand dollars, which yeah, it's definitely it's a third of what it was trading at at its highest, right? It was sixty thousand dollars. So, but let's just zoom out a little bit farther, and then March right. twenty twenty, it was at three thousand dollars. So, so like you know, and I was a buyer then too. So you know, it, it's same thing with a lot of these watches. Oh, you know the uh, the the uh, yellow gold green dial uh, John Mayer Daytona was at one hundred and twenty thousand. Now it's at what eighty five thousand. Okay, this is a forty thousand dollar retail watch. Oh, it's dead. The nobody wants the watch. It's like really? double retail, it's right? It, still at double its retail. <laughs> it's just not triple. So yes. now it's 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 worthless. It's like okay, well, I guess if you bought it at one twenty and you really didn't, couldn't afford it at one twenty, but you thought you were going to sell it for one fifty, certainly could be use, uh, you know worthless. But you know, I mean, it's still double the retail. Um, so it's it, it's it is an interesting market that we're in. You know, this is I think we're probably going to have. 
over the next, say, decade, we're going to have more of these booms and busts. Like, it's going to happen. Like, certain things are going to happen. And, you know, uh, LeBron wears uh, a certain watch, and now all of a sudden everybody wants to go out, and, and now that brand explodes, and then something happens with the economy, and it'll drop 30%, and then people will claim that it's dead again, but now it's trading at six times what it used to instead of eight times what it used to. Like, there's going to be those. I think keeping perspective is, is super important, right? That's one thing that you've always helped me to do. Um, you know, being in this market for so long. But, you know, I guess if you've only been trading for... Yeah, you got to be able to take a step back and, like, understand, like, what was always desirable and what was always dogs. And, like, you know, they don't change their stripes that often. Yes, different brands have come up and different brands have gone down. But overall, I think where we're going to see the ups and downs is, to, to your point, the internet certainly drives these hype pieces. And, like, you know, popular culture... Not watch guys drove a lot of these specific references, um, and I think that's never going to go away nowadays because it's just the generation we live in. Um, that's going to be what the hype is. Um, but there'll always be those collectors who appreciate uh, the history, the, what's undervalued, where the brands came from. I mean, I think we're getting into the point now where you know I went down a rabbit hole yesterday because I had a very cool Daniel Roth. And, like, you know, kind of forgot all the history who was, you know, like a great early independent in the 80s and, you know, kind of burnt out and sold out early. Um, but some of his early stuff and where he got the parts and who was helping him and, like, I mean, it's just amazing to uh, realize, you know, what he was doing back in the day. And guys appreciate that and they want to understand the stories. And those are not the hype guys. Uh, they're the guys who really are passionate about it, who love um, you know, what they're doing and love just having being part of the hobby. Uh, and that's the fun stuff. Um, and I think we're going to get back a little bit to that and hopefully shake out some of the people who were just in it for money. Yeah. Which, I mean, that'll, that'll happen. The way I look at it is like, because I'm big on like metaphors, analogies and stuff. It's like, you know, beach, uh, sand at the beach, right? So like the, the wave washes in and it, and it pushes some sand up on the beach and as it comes back, it pulls some back out, right? So like the market shoots up and you'll get new people in on it and then as it comes down people will will retract but there's always going to be some sand left on the beach right so like there's there's always going to be residual guys that got into it for what like the <laughs> like the the snarky or, or or the uh uh what's the word i'm looking for for like like the watch nerds say oh it's the wrong reasons you're only buying it because of this again i don't care why you buy a watch right but right. you're you know like my, I always come back to my buddy who I called and told him I couldn't believe somebody spent $8,000 on a watch. He makes way more money than I do. He can afford almost any watch he wants. Um, he bought his first Rolex last year. Actually, you sold it to him, a Submariner. And, you know, because, you know, he's been seeing me for the last almost 10 years, talk about watches, see my collection and everything. So he finally buys himself a Submariner. And now he gets it, he says. He's like, listen, I bought this because I knew it was going to be worth more than what I – why, you know, what I paid. And while I wasn't planning on selling it immediately, I always thought in my head, okay, at least I have something that's worth more than what I paid. And now that the watches came down enough, where it was basically like, if you were going to sell it to somebody like us, we're going to pay basically list for it. He, he, he looks at it and says, well, now I understand. Like I, I feel, I, I get great feelings about this watch. It was a celebration of my success. And now I feel like I'm, I'm really a watch guy. Now he'll send me pictures of different watches that, Hey, what do, what do you think about this? One? <laughs> You know, do you have one of these in stock that I can try on? Things like that. So there's always going to be that residual. And and so the so the point I'm making is if you zoom back, right, and you and you look at it for, as like in a holistic view, even though there's going to be guys who are only looking at these watches as private drivers, I guess, you know, kind of how dealers do like us, right? Um, 
there's there's always going to be guys who get get the watch bug like it gets the hooks in them they start wearing that watch that they bought that they thought they were only going to buy for profit and they go oh wow now i understand because this is a fun hobby and these things are super well made and like i can't really point to many other things in my life that are as well made as this right when you when you start looking at rolex when you start looking at say moser or you know really any even the lowest quality swiss made watch is still at a higher quality than anything you can buy in just your normal life, right? Unless you're getting like handmade furniture or, hand, or like, you know, handmade and assembled cars, things like that, right? Like there's not many things you can buy in your life that aren't like- No, there's not. And, this, and, and to your point, it's, it's fun. Yeah. And it's part of a, you become part of a community somehow. Yes. Um, That's the other part of Like it. I just like, I mean, I, I travel a lot and I, you know, I, I've had a couple of guys already grab my wrist and be like, oh my God, that's such a cool piece. And I was like, you know, not knowing who I am or what I do, but it's like, it starts a conversation, but only guys who really know what they're looking at uh, are like that. You know what I mean? Like, you know, my wife and 90% of her friends walk past my wrist and have no idea what I'm wearing um, and could care less. And I love that part as well. Uh, It's like, if you're you're not part of the club, you're not going to get it. And if you are part of the club, um, you really do get it and you do catch that bug and there's, it's a bug. Yeah. I mean, I've been doing this forever and I love it every day. Oh, yeah. It's even if I get burned out on buying and selling watches, I can look at my watch box and just be like, Oh wow. And I have so much diversity. I think that's important for collecting and all that. And, uh, I just went and played in the vault yesterday for like 20 minutes and I hadn't done it in like a month. <laughs> and I was like, God, I got to do this more often. Wow. <laughs> so that's actually a good segue to my, to my next topic. Cause I think we've exhausted kind of what's happening in the market right now. We're still seeing some, some pricing coming down on certain models. And I think there's also residual effect where the mark, the market has may, maybe settled in terms of the, at the consumer level, but with dealers, we're still too thick on the inventory. So like, we're not paying, we're not, we're not making aggressive offers yet until we kind of get back to normal levels on inventory. So that's going to take probably another Correct. few weeks. Like you said, six to eight weeks, I think from now is uh, yeah, another six to eight weeks is right. Exactly. We'll be back to making, marked out to. Right. Exactly. Then I won't have to argue with you on, 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 on no, exactly. Then we'll be full bore ahead. And yeah. exactly. Yeah. No, it's just, you know, nice. and again, it's just, I manage risk is what I do here. And you know, that's what it's a, it's a big pile of risk. Yeah. So, you know, at times you want to dial back, which is what I did during the summer. And we'll ride it out for another few weeks, and then we're going to dial it up. Yeah, there you go. That's good. And then I can I can continue to prove to my customers that I'm an advocate for them, and not just some try to crook trying to lowball them. You know, that's <laughs> something that we exactly. But um, so in terms of community, one thing I wanted to mention, and it's kind of exciting from us as a company, right? So like, you know, we're we're in growth mode as a company, even through a downturn. Like we're still full board ahead because we believe in the market of watches and. And one thing that, so I'm, I'm down here in Miami, I'm heading up uh, our effort to open two physical locations, one in Boca Raton at the Boca Resort, um, which will be a tiny kind of little, uh, like retail location. Um, yeah, a little hotel store. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, uh, it's awesome. Yeah, it's going to be fantastic. Um, and we'll have, we're going to have a small team down here. We already have them down here just waiting for the doors open. And then we'll have a slightly larger location, about 2,000 square feet down at the, um, the design district in Miami. Uh, which will be, yeah, like I said, it'll, it, these are all, both going to be, well, the Boca will be more retail oriented. We'll have somebody s- sitting in that store, um, you know, handling walk-ins and whatnot. And then the, the um, Miami location is a little bit more exciting for me because it's going to be more of a uh, by appointment only during the day. And then we're going to be running, having, you know, get-togethers and hosting events and stuff. And so like m- myself, you know, I've been, I'm part of a few different, I'm on a lot of the forums. Um, I've recently become part of the West Palm Beach Watch Group that is actually uh, uh, co-founded and run by 
uh, a guy that I'm talking to about a trade right now, this guy, uh, Richard Combs, who's an awesome watch collector. He's been doing it for a long time. He's got an awesome eclectic, very eclectic uh, watch collection. But, um, you know, th those things are popping up more and more. There's Red Bar down here too. So we're, you know, we're looking to uh, help kind of grow those communities, local communities. And we'll, and it, it'll be exciting for me also. You mentioned that you, know, you walked in the vault. You know, I've been having to work from home since essentially 2019, which was really awesome and really cool at first. And now it's very tiring. And I, I wish I had a place to go and, and, and kind of separate home from work and actually have inventory um, uh, to, to handle. So that'll be nice. We'll have actual inventory down here so I can, I, I can do what you're talking about and literally open a vault door and start, play with some of the really cool watches that, that I get to see on our website and all that and share those with some of our local customers. Um, and, uh, I think we're doing the same thing in New York. We have a, a roughly 5,000 square foot. Um, New York's going to be monster gonna be and you're going to be awesome. Very I mean, jealous. New York, and they don't, they're underestimating New York. Yeah, um, I, so. I tell them all the time because I'm planning the inventory for all these locations sure. and we are going to have an amazing inventory in New York because yeah. that's where I cut my teeth don't and forget spend about, a lot of time. about Miami, please. We want some great inventory. I need... <laughs> I need gold Rolexes, diamond APs, uh, white ceramic pieces. Mm. So you can have all that stuff. Okay. We're not putting that in New York. Okay, good, but, good, good. Uh, there will be some cool shit in New York okay. for sure. Yeah, and then Los Angeles as well is going to be, I think, roughly like a four thousand square foot uh, facility that's going to be similar. Again, we get the short end of the stick down in Miami. I understand. You know, we got palm trees and cool breezes and fishing and the beach, so we have to. We can't have everything, uh, but we're gonna have. Mm -hmm. There's gonna be an awesome location in. Uh, in Los Angeles, awesome in New York. And then I think uh, internationally what we have, um, Shanghai's opening, uh, uh, Saudi Arabia, I think I heard. Is, Saudi Arabia is open. Saudi Arabia is already open. That's in Riyadh. Riyadh's already. I've been there, yeah. Oh, nice. Been there already. My dad and, lived there yeah. for, for a few years working uh, as a military contractor. It's a cool city. A uh, lot of watch guys there. Very cool place. He was said that some, a lot of, watch some guys of the quote-unquote soldiers would show up uh, on the base with uh, Ferraris and whatnot. The, the amount of wealth that that exists in that in that area of the world's really astounding and and it really helps i guess kind of prop up the entire watch industry because it, it funds a lot of these small independents in order to make some really cool stuff uh, awesome so i think right now we're on pace and, and things change because of you know construction delays and whatnot so we're in pay, on pace to have both south florida locations open to the public uh in october can't be soon enough um, and so if you guys are listening out there and you're in South Florida and you're, you have a, a group of watch guys, or you have a, you're part of a watch community that I uh, say, maybe I'm not aware of, reach out to me cause we're looking to host, um, host meetups, get togethers. We'll have, you know, a very cool space down in Miami, uh, lounge place to drink, whatnot to, in a secure I was going to say we have good alcohol yes, too. <laughs> good alcohol. We'll be. We'll be fully. We have stocked. good bosses. They let us let oh, us yeah. fully stock the bar. Yeah, so thank God. Wait to see the bar in New York is going to be amazing. Oh yeah, well, we'll have a very small um, uh, version <laughs> of that in Miami, but it'll still be fun. It'll be secure as well. That's one thing that's very important: security. So um, we're going to have some. Yeah. So if you're in New York, reach out to our New York team, Los Angeles, the same thing, and then you can reach out to me directly if you're in South Florida and you're looking to, you know, have us host maybe a watch meetup, and and you know we want to be obviously we want. We would love people to buy watches from us, but we also want to be part of the community. We want to be able to host these things, have a safe space for people to come and, and enjoy their watches with each other. 
Um, and then I guess the last thing I want to bring up is something that was some really cool news that was actually officially released just a few days ago, if not like maybe yesterday. And that is yesterday it was the release. That's right. And that's our, uh, our partnership and acquisition of a really, really special guy, a guy that I've been a fan of for a long time because I'm, uh, I am a fan of great writing. Um, I love to read fiction for the stories, but if somebody can take, uh, that style of writing and then bring that into make, make things, uh, very, very interesting. I love that stuff. In fact, he did an entire series on spring bars that I thought was one of the coolest things I've ever written. It was ridiculous. <laughs> right? So like, if you can make spring bars cool, I mean, you're, you have a, a tremendous amount of talent, and that is... A little uh, tremendous amount yeah, of talent, Jack yes. Forster is part of the Watchbox team, which is uh, super, super cool. I know you met him in person in Philly. There is he is he in Philly right now with you guys? Yeah, no, I knew... Uh, he's not. He's still working out in New York, okay. but he was here for a few days this week. Nice. Um, I obviously met him a few weeks ago go when we started putting this deal together and I've known him for years which is great fun because yeah. um, we would see him in all the shows and that kind of stuff and absolutely if not the best written guy in the industry one of mm-hmm. um, you know I we love him um, he's great fun to read I mean I love him I love Waco I mean I love you know that part of it we are part of the community we love it you know nobody's better at video than Tim That's but right. these guys now we've got the written uh we got the written Tim. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. It's going to be amazing, and and that's the thing I also love about Watchbox is like, yes, we're here to make money and buy and sell watches, but we also want to be the best there is at this community at educating and at you know giving out the information, and that's really what it has set us up for the future here. And I think this is just amazing that uh, we've landed such a a gem. Cool. Yeah, I'm excited. Again, I've been a fan of his since I guess I got in the industry. I wanted to learn as much as possible, and I found some of his articles, and I found them just so interesting. And like, you can read, you know, a, a, a three or four page article written by this guy, and you're, you're gonna, you feel like you have a full knowledge on whatever he's, whatever he's bringing, and, and like interesting stories and all that stuff. I mean, it certainly helped me in sales in general, like like educating myself that way. So I'm excited as a fan, and now I get to be a colleague with the gentleman. In fact, we're scheduling a, a podcast. Um, in, in the near future. He'll be your new favorite guest. Yeah, I'll well, be replaced. We'll see. We'll see. He's, he's so, a, a super interesting guy. Him and I have a bunch of things in common that are not watch related. So we'll see. We'll see. I, I love talking to, to you, Manjos, because you make things uh, so interesting and, and easy for me because uh, you're a wealth of information and you're happy to talk. About <laughs> I'm hoping that Jack will be a regular, uh, a regular uh, guest. Uh, he definitely will. We'll definitely yeah. do it. He's a great guy. Yeah. You will love him we'll, to death. We'll see. Maybe he'll take over and he'll just run the trading desk podcast and I can just listen to it instead of having to record these myself. But um, uh, there you go. either way. All right, man. Well, so we're running up on an hour. Is there anything else we missed here? Anything else you want to tell the, the folks? out there? No, I mean, I think it's great. I mean, I think, you know, obviously we're going to see, we'll get together in a couple months and see how we did, but I really do think, um, you know, certainly the, the major fall has happened. Now we're getting to trading ranges. And I think we're going to see a bump in the fourth quarter. I truly do. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll see uh, how right I am. And, uh, I think post-election, you're going to see a big run. Cool. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye on it. All right. Thanks, Mike. Awesome. Talk to you later. Oh, guys. Yes, it's uh, always my pleasure. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel, Watchbox Studios, Watchbox Reviews. Uh if you haven't already, subscribe to this podcast, uh, the Trading Desk Podcast, and uh, 
And you know, if you have any other questions, you can reach out to Mike Manjos uh, on, I guess, Instagram. Is that the best place for you? Instagram's great. Yeah. Right. Instagram, yeah, you can find Mike me anyway. Manjos, and then I'm at MR right. Thanos, Mr. Thanos. So reach out to us anytime. And uh, thank you so much for listening. We love you. You're champions. Great. Talk to you. Thanks, next guys. Bye bye. Take care. Thanks, guys. Thank you.